All right, so Paul's pastoral heart. We talked uh, the opening part of that last week, but let's go again to verse 8, Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. And Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So, as we said last week in our opening part of this, uh, Paul was more than just an apostle. He was more than just writing doctrine, uh, corrections, uh, letters to the churches with uh, information. Paul cared about people, and we see that heart in this letter. Uh, probably the only other one where we see it in that manner is in First Thessalonians, which, again, is very much Paul's heart in ministry. And yes, as an apostle, uh, God had given him insight he had a special insight that God had given him, a dispensation uh, to minister the mystery of Christ, that is, the church being both Jew and Gentile, and that in Christ the two would be brought to one. And that was a special message, insight that God had given to Paul. Other people got a hold of it, yes, but Paul was the one who God has given that to. He's very bold about saying that. But again, those words are by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So it had to be because the Spirit gave him those words. And those were things that Paul had to give to put things in order within the church. But here we see Paul's real care for these people. And, and as we'll see when we get to chapter 16, he knows so many of these people, and he's never been there. He knows what's going on in their lives. Some of them he probably knows by meeting them. Others he knows by reputation. That in the New Testament church, without social media, They actually knew things that were going on in other Christians' lives. Amazing. You know how they did that? People talked to one another. You got it. They actually talked to one another. Is that amazing? That's pretty amazing. And so there was a great amount of, of information passed and stories and testimonies. And information that was uh, given so that people could be encouraged in their faith. That what you were believing was not just you. There are people in Rome that believed these things. There was a church growing in Rome. In many of the people's minds, Rome was just some imagination in their mind. They had no idea what it looked like, what it was like. They'd never been there, never would be there. But stories, testimonies were circulating, and people knew. So Paul knows what's going. He cares about these people, even as he is desiring to go there. And what he says here is he's been praying for them, and we talked about that last week, uh, that he is always praying for them. Um, there's a little phrase there at the beginning of verse 9, for God is my witness. Now, Paul invokes that several times in his writing, and he puts it in places where people would say, eh, he's just making that up. You know, that's just, that's just fluff. He's just, he's just saying that. No, he's saying God is my witness. The word witness means to testify, 
And so he says here, God would testify about this. But in a sense, isn't God testifying about it through the pen of Paul? (laughs) So God is my witness. Yeah, because what I'm writing is my testimony. So this testimony is going forth. So let's go to verse 9. This is where we kind of left off in our last session. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. The word serve is a specific Greek word, uh, which means worshipful devotion. It's a word for serving that had to do with the priests. Now, in the Roman and Greek, it could also be used in government. And so uh, it was somehow used in government circles. But for the most part, in the New Testament, it was used in reference to the temples in reference to uh, to the gods. And especially in the New Testament, it's about serving God with a worshipful heart. Now, there's another Greek word for serve or minister, and that's the Greek word diakonos, from which we get deacon, and to deacon, which means necessarily to serve a function. Diakonos comes from a Greek word. You've got to catch this. It means to hasten to the wine deacon to hasten to the wine now what that meant was not that they were going after the wine they were serving the wine to the master's guests so the hasten to the wine had to do with the fact that these were special servants that would be attentive to the needs of the master's guests and they would make sure that it was taken care of you know how the the waiters, good waiters, you know, they keep your water glass full or tea or whatever. And so there was this, this attitude. Plus, also the deacon was in the room sometimes with the master and some friends hearing things that didn't need to be said anywhere else. And so the diakonos had to be someone who was trusted, who was um, good in their heart, um, not meant to uh, to trade things or to give away secrets for money, and all of that fits into to the deacon. But the deacon was one who is taking care of a function, a, a need that's in the in the church, in the body. So the first deacons, Acts chapter six, were given to take care of the needs of the Greek widows, and they had they had their need and it needed to be taken care of. And so uh, Peter assigned these ones to serve that need. So that's deacon. But this this Greek word uh, is latruo, is, is the word it comes from. Uh, latruo has to do with serving in a worshipful heart. And it can be it can be translated worship. It's one of the New Testament words for worship because it's it's the worship of your service. It's the worship of what you're doing. I, I read one man's commentary He said, what we do in our church is we consider what we do for that 20, 30 minutes of the church service our worship, when really that should be the last part of it, because our worship should be what we're doing every day with our life. Give ourselves in worshipful devotion to God. And in doing that, I'm not saying stop and say, thank you, Jesus, and praise the Lord, you know, whatever. Um, By the way, say something more than just hallelujah, praise the Lord, (laughs) thank you, Jesus. Talk to God. Tell him what you're thankful for. Tell him uh, how great he is. Talk to God. So anyway, but this one had to do with with serving. Whatever you're doing, how did Paul say it in Colossians? Do it as unto the Lord. And so this is the idea behind this word. And so Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve, this is worshipful devotion, with my spirit or from within my spirit. The New English Bible says, to whom I offer the humble service of my spirit. I like that. That I'm giving God me. I'm going to give him me. And, and to present myself Paul had a very high regard for the ministry. 
to him, ministry was not just service. Yes, he had a function. The ministry of the word, the Greek word used there is diakonos, the deaconing of the word. I have a responsibility to serve the word of God to his people. But I also have a responsibility to serve in devotion. That what I'm doing here is as a worship unto the Lord, that I keep the right attitude. I'm not just a teacher that has got information and I read enough commentaries and I studied enough things so I can get up here and give you information. It's, it, that's not it. It's that my life needs to be a devotion to God and that my teaching comes out of my devotion, not out of just head knowledge that I've gained. So Paul had this high regard. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1.12. This is where I get dangerous because when I put these verses in, I want to preach the verse and I have to <laughs> stop that. But 1 Timothy 1.12, listen, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. The word thank, <clears throat> the word thank is, is the present tense word. I am thanking. I'm continually thanking the one who has given me strength, and the word given is an absolute. It's, it's over. It's concluded. What Paul is saying is, I am thankful to the one who gave me this gift, who gave me this divine power that's inside. The word strength comes from the Greek word dunamis. So what he's saying is, I am continually thankful for the one who has permanently placed within me a power. To do what? To teach. To minister. He has permanently endowed me with this gift. Who is he? Christ Jesus our Lord. Now a lot of times Paul uses the plural pronoun. Instead of saying just Christ Jesus my Lord, he was Paul's Lord. And there's nothing wrong with saying my Lord. Up above, he's already said God is my witness. But a lot of times Paul likes to use this plural. He's not just my Lord. He's our Lord. And it, it, this is something that is, is important to Paul. And then what he goes on to say, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this ministry or this service. He judged me faithful appointing me. Now, I want you to get the, the timing of the tenses here. The first thing that happened was God has given me strength. So God put a gift on the inside. But the second thing is God judging him faithful and then giving him a ministry. You see, what we, we typically think is God gives ministry to people who are going to be faithful. So I'll give you a ministry, and then you need to be faithful to it. No, Paul was faithful to something before God gave him a ministry. What was he faithful to? You can go back and look at this, and like I said, i got to not let myself preach here, but you can go back at Paul's life. What was he faithful to? Studying. He didn't know he was going to be an apostle, declaring the Old Testament uncovering the truth of the Old Testament for people in the New Testament, teaching people how Christ was buried in the law in all the types and shadows that he was there. He didn't know that. But as a young child, he began his progress to become a rabbi and from there to be a superior rabbi and ultimately to be a, a chief rabbi. And all these things he did not knowing that God was going to use his gift and his training for God's purpose. Paul was faithful in all those things. And God said, yes, and appointed him to a ministry. The word judged me, and the Greek word, uh, the Greek word means, and this kind of, goes crossways with the way a lot of people think. It means to lead the mind. That what I did led God's mind. In other words, God made the judgment based on what I had done. 
not just on his plan for me. God had a plan for Paul. But if Paul didn't follow through in training and preparation and, and setting himself up, he would have never become an apostle. If when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus, he would have run back to Jerusalem, he would have never been an apostle. If after he was told by Ananias, God's called you to minister to the Gentiles, and uh, tell him also what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. If there's suffering involved, I'm not signing up. But Paul was faithful. And then God gave him a ministry. I know I've said some of this, some of you have heard this many times before. Between Acts chapter 9, Paul received the Lord. And Acts chapter 13, when he was separated into the ministry, is 14 years. No, it's just three chapters. What are you talking about? No. 14 years. Amazing. What was Paul doing? Being faithful. This is the regard that Paul had for the gift that God placed within. I would that all ministers that I know had that kind of regard for the gift that God's placed within. This is, this is not my doing. I didn't earn this. I didn't choose this. I don't deserve this. But God gave it. And what I need to do is, like Paul, give myself in worshipful devotion to him. That's how I want to do this ministry. As I said before, I wrote a paper. Some people have a hard time with my title. It's my title, so get over it. I want to go to heaven empty. When my life is finished, I don't want there to be anything I haven't done that God asked me to do. That's what I mean. I want to go to heaven empty. I don't want to reserve any stuff. I don't want to hand anything back to Jesus and say, hey, you know, I just didn't get around to this. No. I want to, I want to give everything. So Paul had that kind of regard. But you know what? So did Jesus. Look down there in your page, chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. And if you know the book of Hebrews, he's talking about Jesus, right? He's contrasting Jesus with all the other things, with the temple, with the angels, with the Moses, with the law, all these different things, with the sacrifices, with the priests, he said, the point of what we're saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister. See that, verse 2? Are you there? Hebrews 8, a minister? That's the Greek word, latril. One who serves out of worshipful devotion. See, that's, that was Jesus' attitude. That was the way that he looked at the responsibility that God had given him. A worshipful devotion. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. I want to shadow him. I want to have that kind of attitude toward the ministry. It's, it's a function. I know that. And the word diakonos is used a lot more than this word. But diakonos' service has to do with the function of what I'm doing, the, the material, what I have to give to you. But this worshipful devotion comes from within me. So if you have a concordance at your home or your little device, and if it has a concordance in there that you can search for Greek words, look at all the verses where this word is used. It's amazing. Here's one, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
We know this verse. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Therefore meaning based on everything I've been saying. Especially chapters 3 through 8. 9, 10, 11 was a bit of a parenthesis. But especially about what Christ has done to save us. What God has done to redeem us. How God has removed our sin by his work through his son Jesus Christ. And he did it by grace. And all we have to do is believe. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. No more dead sacrifice. God's not asking for your blood. He's asking for your feet, for your hands, for your mouth, your heart. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Liturgos, which comes from the same word, worshipful devotion. This is our spiritual devotion. And the word spiritual comes from the word actually, which means reasonable, logical. In fact, that's almost the Greek word logikos. And so... It's just, this is the logical, if I really look at everything that he did for me, and now that I believed in the grace that he offered me, and I have received all of this, what am I supposed to do? My logical response is to offer myself to him. Not just a few hours, not just a little bit of time. Paul's not writing in Romans chapter 12. He's not writing to ministers. He's writing to everyone. I'd appeal to you, therefore, present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly devoted to God, which is your logical response of worship. Now, People have said, and it's true, problem with the living sacrifice is what? Keeps crawling off the altar. That's the problem with the living sacrifice. You know, you put him on the altar and he calls off the altar. So that's, that's us. God, I give you my life. Ten minutes later, you're out of church. You forgot what you said. You know, you crawled off the altar. All right, so to speak. All right, enough preaching there. Uh, look to the bottom of the page. Here's another place where this word is used. It's also a glaring indictment against those who have rejected the truth. Listen to this, Romans one twenty-five, just right within this chapter, in the midst of all those horrible verses that we don't like to read. And Paul says concerning these people, because they exchanged, they exchange the truth, we'll talk more about that, about God for a lie. And what? Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. That word served is devotion. Not only did they worship with their words, that's what the Greek word means, but they also devoted their lives to the creature instead of the creator. So, this word can have a negative context also. Top of your next page. Paul saw his ministry, therefore, as something of, of deep devotion. And I've looked at God's call upon my life, and, you know, I don't, I don't like to just draw attention to myself, but I have tried to do with, with the gift and the opportunities God has given me. My life was preserved from dying in Vietnam and however many other places I could have died along the way. And it's not, you know, it's not because God saved me because he had a purpose. God saved me. I have a purpose. This is my response to the fact that God saved my life. That God preserved me. Not preserved me for something. All those other people, they had, they had something for 
to do for God too. There's nobody who is insignificant. But their lives were gone. My life was spared. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to use this time that God has given me? I don't know how many years I've got. But I've got to use what I've got. Because I have this opportunity. Which leads into what we'll talk about next week. I am a debtor. I have an obligation. I'm in debt to the people that God preserved me for. So, Paul says this this is how he sees his life. Uh, the last phrase I wrote there at the top of the page his service was worship, and he worshiped by serving. His service was a worship to God. Not a tedious job. Not something that you felt he had to do. Oh, here I am. I've got to do this. No, it's, it's worship. It's part of my worship of God. Amen. And not only that, he worshiped by serving. I'm, I'm not just going to sit back and, and wait for a time to worship or, you know, sit in my office. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do something. Chapter 1, verse 10, Paul goes on. Always in my prayers. Always in my prayers. Now, I've separated these words and underlined them so that you can catch the impact of what he's saying here. So follow with me. Always in my prayers. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Well, he multiplied those things. He didn't say, you know, I've been asking God so I can come to you. And I'm waiting for the opportunity. <laughs> Paul, Paul says, here, here it is. Always in my prayers. So anytime I pray, this is what I'm doing. One of the translations that I had said, this is, this is Paul. Incessantly. Worshiping always in my prayers. This is, this is something that's just over and over. And how often did Paul say he prayed? Continually. You have to go to a couple of verses up above. I pray continually for you. Now again, those are God's words through Paul's pen. So, they're God's words. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul never did anything but prayed. It means over and over. I'm, I never let it go. I'm constantly thinking. As I'm, as I'm writing, Paul said, I'm praying. And once in a while, those prayers, they find their way into Paul's writing. A phrase, a sentence, sometimes a paragraph, two or three sentences. And just a couple words. But his prayers find their way into Paul's writing. I'm sure they found their way into his preaching. That even as he was preaching, he's praying. God, give me words. Show me the things to say. Direct my attention. Paul didn't have a device that had all the notes on it that I have. Paul says, you know, this is, I'm asking my prayers. Then the word asking, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That somehow, I don't know how. I don't know how God's going to get me to Rome. And I'm sure if, if he'd been asked, Paul, write down, write down three ways that you think God's going to get you to Rome. It never would have been the one that worked, that it was. Oh, I want to be a prisoner. I want to be rescued from prison. I want to be in Caesarea, finally be heard by, by uh, the, the, uh, the Herodians, the kings there, Felix. Uh, Festus, Festus, yeah, I know. I want to be heard, and then I'm going to appeal to come to Caesar. I'm going to get on a boat, but it's the wrong time of year. So I told them we ought to stay in the harbor, but they didn't want to stay in the harbor. 
The guy wanted to get to Rome. So then we got in the hurricane. And then we got shipwrecked. Then I got bit by a snake. Yeah, that's, that's how I want to get to Rome. He never would have come up with that. But God had a way. How are you here? How'd you get here? I don't mean in your car. How'd you get to where you are? How'd you get to this place that you find yourself in your life? (laughs) Somehow. Asking somehow. By God's will. I, I don't want to do it if it's not God's will. I may. I may. He didn't say, by God's will, I will. No, by God's will, I may. Now at last. I mean, this has been a long time. Succeed in coming to you. Now that's not doubt. That's not Paul in, in the place of unbelief. No, he's, he's being honest. He's been praying for a long time. So, let's look at this. Bonding of page two. Number one, what Paul wanted. What did he want? What was that? You know, you can't have faith if you don't have a hope. Faith is the substance of things. What? Hoped for. So if you don't have the hope, you can't have the faith. Faith, where you, what's your faith doing? I don't know. I just have faith. For what? I don't know. Anything, everything. No, that won't work. You got to have a target. You can't, well, Congress did, but you can't build a bridge to nowhere. But don't ask Sarah Palin or the people in Alaska. Uh, they, they build a bridge to nowhere. But you got to have a place you're going. If you don't have a destination, you can't have faith to get there. You've got to have a hope. And what's, what is the big thing that the enemy is doing to people all over our nation? Destroying their hope. Taking hope away. And replacing it with fear, dismal destination, fate. Uh, it's just my fate. <laughs> no. I have a hope. You've got to have a destination. So what did Paul want? We're going to skip down to the bottom. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both you and mine. Yours and mine. What did Paul want to do? That I may impart. Again, when you see the word that, put the word so in front of it. So that I may impart. I can't impart if I'm not there, but I'm going to come back to that in a minute. All right, so what did he want? I want to impart. So that I may impart to you. The Greek word for impart, metadidomy, it it means that I may with your permission. The Greek phrasing here is passive, which means you have to give me permission. I can't actively do this. I can't force it into you. You have to give me permission. That I may with your permission be able to overgive to you. Metadidomy. Didomy means to give. Meta means over. Again, Paul says, I don't want to just give you a little bit. I'm going to overload you. That's why it takes me weeks to get through a verse. Um, people say, you know, don't, you know, when you go to feed the she, the cow, the cattle, whatever, you know, don't unload the whole load. I, why not? You know, <laughs> let them have as much as they want. That I may, with your permission, that... The, the Greek word in, includes this idea that you have to give me permission to impart something to you. I, I don't have the power to put it in you. You have to want it. That's why you're here on a Tuesday night, right? That's why you have devotionals in the morning. That's why you read scriptures. 
That's why sometimes some of you have scriptures put up on the wall or, you know, when you open up your device, you know, a scripture pops up in your in your face. Um, that's why you call your friends to talk to you. You're keeping that hope alive. Because you don't want just a little something. You, you want a lot. And when you read the Bible, you're not just reading to get through some chapters I hope right everybody say no I don't I don't do that (laughs) all right I'll believe you but Paul said when I come I want to impart something to you but I can't impart it if you don't give me permission so part of what Paul is writing this letter for is for lack of another term to tease them To make them want what Paul's going to give them. Oh man, we can't wait till Paul gets here. He's going to impart some stuff to us. He's going to uncover some things. He's going to teach us. And so, I mean, we've got this letter that is so full of stuff that you can't even imagine. But when Paul gets here, he's going to give us more. This is just a taste of what Paul's going to do when he gets here. (laughs) That Paul will overget. Listen to the use of this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, he loved this Thessalonian church. He was just there for maybe a couple months. And in, in those couple months, he taught them so much. People that came out of nothing, they knew nothing about the Bible. And Paul brought them to, to a place of incredible maturity. And the things he taught in the Thessalonian letter is, is it's just incredible. And again, it's one of Paul's pastoral letters. He said, so being desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, to give to you, met to give to you, right, to overgive, to share with you, not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. I didn't. Ju- I didn't want to just stand up in a pulpit and talk. I want to give you me. But Paul is including two other men with him, Silas and Timothy, a young sixteen-year-old boy who's just been brought along with Paul. And he says, "Me and Silas and Timothy, we were all in agreement. We want to give you ourselves. We want to offer you everything that we have." I don't understand, I don't understand ministers that treat their calling as a profession. This is the job I do for these hours a day, and then I'm done. It breaks my heart, it really does. But I know them, I know them. There are so many places Paul said, I want, to, I want to give you myself. So he says, moving on, that we may impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, don't read into this one of the nine spiritual gifts. That's not really what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that the essence of what I give you is spiritual, not natural. I don't want to just give you, I want, don't want you to have information I want the information to have spiritual impact. I don't want to just spend time with you. I want our time to have spiritual impact. So that everything I'm doing has a spiritual impact in your life. That I'm not just visiting to visit. There's nothing wrong with conversation and talking about you know, football, whether it's our football or... European football, it doesn't matter. World football, that's every place but America. They, nothing wrong with talking natural things. That's okay. But what I'm really there for is to have a spiritual impact. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. This letter... My point here, Paul's letter was filled with spiritual truth. (laughs) 
the amount of truth in the book of Romans is overwhelming. Like I say, it, it could be an outline for a systematic theology. And so this is a very powerful letter filled with spiritual truth. But Paul knows that it's not just writing them this letter so they have all this truth. It's speaking it to them. I want to be with you that I might impart to you. Right? So this is what he wants. I want to impart to you. But I want to be there. Why? Because when I say these things, there's going to be a response from you. Sometimes, as I'm teaching, the way I see your responses or your faces or whatever, it makes me do something else. Usually it's nice responses, but, you know, sometimes I can see question on your face or maybe, I'm not sure I believe that, which makes me want to prove to you that it's true. So, you know, keep a poker face and I'll preach less. Paul's letter was filled. He wanted to be able to give response so that when he taught, people respond. And Paul's open to that. Go ahead, ask me a question. I'll do my best to help you with this. The questions, the responses, the re-educating. Paul knew that there were many Jews in the church in Rome that were going to have to be re-educated. What they knew needed to be changed. And there's nothing wrong with God re-educating. How many of you had had some re-educating, you know, from listening to the Word of God? <laughs> yeah. God re-educates us. Some clarifying. You know, well, you said that, but I, I don't really understand what that means. So help me understand what that means. Paul wanted to pour out a spiritual gift on these people. Next point. And that these words would strengthen you. The Greek word strengthen is sterizo, which means to make you stable or fasten you in place. To strengthen you. Stability and steadfastness. You know, we don't just need information. We need, and I made this word up, immovableness. That's, that's a Jeff word. I need immovable. I'm not going to move i'm not that's strengthening you or fastening you in place that these words might encourage us together that we would be encouraged together and that's built into the word it's not just to encourage there's a greek word for that parakaleo which means to stand at the side and tell people that they can overcome and that they're champions and that they, they can get through this and they can do this work or whatever. That's parakaleo, the guy who stands at your side. That's also the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter, the paraklete, not keet, paraklete, right? He stands at our side. He doesn't do the work for us. He just tells us we can. How many have been nudged by the Holy Spirit? Say, well, Holy Spirit, you do it. Well, you got the hands, you got the mouth, you got the feet, you do it. Uh, you can do it. The Holy Spirit says you can do it. Yeah. But I, Moses, but I can't talk. Yeah, you can. You just talked. So all your denial is talking. Yeah, you can talk. Yeah, but if they, they don't like me, so what? They don't like me anyway. So go ahead. So, but this word means to encourage together. That I'm encouraged when you're encouraged, which encourages me, which encourages you, which encourages me, which encourages you. That we might be encouraged together. So it's built into the word that this has to be done together. And that this will be something that is, is working as, as I see you being encouraged, that encourages me. And then he goes to the end of that, by mutual faith. And again, here's the Greek phrase means by each other's faith. That's what the Greek word is, by each other's faith. It's not by your faith, that I might be encouraged by your faith. No, by each other's faith. 
I sometimes need your faith to encourage me, to help me. Why do we ask for agreement in prayer? Because I need your faith to help me through this situation. You might have information that you pray that I don't have. And God would speak to you in a way so that speaking into my life, there might be a gift of the Spirit that would be exchanged. I don't know. But mutual faith is a very important principle. Go to the top of your, of your next page. This is the story of Jesus and the epileptic. He came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples had tried to cast this epileptic demon out of this little boy. They couldn't do it. Jesus told them it was because of their unbelief. Uh, they didn't believe they could, so they couldn't. But listen to this. The man came to Jesus and he said, if you can, help me. Jesus said, if I can. Why did, why did the man question whether Jesus could? Because his disciples couldn't. You know, if, if you invite people down to the prayer line and then they come down there and you say, well, I, I don't know, I can't pray for that. <laughs> uh, you know, I can't pray for that. I got a line. I, I can't care. No, I can't do that. Now, I've had times, and I've shared this with you before, I've had times where I'm glad I didn't know everything that that person needed. And when the lady brought a dead baby up to me, I had no idea that the baby was dead. But God raised that baby from the dead. I didn't have to wrestle in my mind, can I raise a baby from the dead? You know, do I have that faith? Can I do this? Does she agree? It was there. I prayed. The baby lived. And um, I, I, I didn't have any real part in that, just releasing what God told me to do. But sometimes I need, we need the mutual faith. This man questioned because his disciples couldn't do it. So it's like, if you can, help me. She said, if I can, all things are possible to the one that believes. Why couldn't the disciples? They didn't believe. <laughs> things are possible to the one that believes, but they're not if you don't believe. And immediately the father of the child, listen to his words, cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, sir, you may as well go sit down because if you've got unbelief, nothing's going to happen there. Jesus didn't send him away. What did he do? Cast the demon out of the child. Do you think that helped the man's unbelief? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got all the help he needed. So what he's saying is, I, I, I can believe up to here. Mutual faith. But I need you to pull me across the line. See, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I brought my child to you. I brought him to your disciples they couldn't do anything but i didn't take him home i didn't walk away instead i came and said can you they couldn't but can you you know sometimes people's the 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 line in people's faith is to call you on the phone and say i, I need your prayers that's it that's that's as far as they could go or to respond to a healing line to walk up to the front that, that's it. That's, that's the limit of my faith. I walked up to the line. Now what? Now it's up to you. Mutual faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. Bring me across to where I didn't know I could go. The word unbelief, by the way, means limited faith. It's not the word for no faith. It means faith that has a limit. I could believe this far, but not that. The disciples like, well, we could, we, we've raised people from the dead. We've done this. But this epileptic thing with the seizures and the foaming and the, all that stuff, <laughs> I don't know if we can do this. They had a line. Let's move on. A paraphrase that I wrote up there, you can read through that. Okay. So Paul said, here's what I want. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be strengthened and that we could be encouraged together by the mutual faith of you and me. That's what, that's what I want. Now, part number two, when did he want it? 
So going back and looking at these verses, when he won it, he said, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. The first thing is by God's will. I don't want to do it if it's my will. I want it to be God's will. I want to know that this is what God wants. Paul could have gotten on a boat anytime he wanted and gone to Rome. He could have. He could have walked across the Greek Isle, gotten a boat, gone over to the coast of Italy, walked from there to Rome. He could have done it. But he didn't because he wanted to go by God's will. God's will was for him to do some other things. Yeah, but I want to go to Rome. So I'm going to Rome. Here's, here's my point. I don't ever want to be on the plane that God didn't want me on. I just, I'm just saying. You know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be in the place he doesn't want me to be. And that one opportunity where I, I missed the flight because my passport wasn't right, uh, my visa had not been approved, and I had to let the team go ahead, and then I had to go to California, and I was three days late getting on the plane, and I sat down and I thought, I'm on the wrong day, the wrong plane, the wrong people, the wrong seat. I was thinking everything was wrong because I wasn't over in China ministering already. They started their ministry, and I missed the first day of trading because I'm on the stupid plane Wrong plane, wrong people, wrong seat, wrong air. <laughs> Till God opened the way for me to talk to this little Chinese girl by my side. She could hardly speak a word of English, just a couple words. And I thought, how am I going to share the gospel? She had a baby that was maybe, maybe two months old. Chinese lady behind me was just yelling at her, brought this little girl to tears several times by... Just, I don't know what it was, but some caustic words that she was speaking to this little girl. It just angered me, but I, I couldn't understand what it was she was saying. And I thought, how am I going to minister to this little girl? And then I realized, I got an iPad. I have a device, right? And I had a device, and I had a Bible, and I got a Chinese Bible. I can't read the Chinese Bible. But I can arrange my iPad so the Chinese Bible is on one side and the American Bible is on the other. And so I found some verses. I put them in a note. Then I found the Chinese verses that matched. And I put those in the paper and, or in the device and I gave it to her to read. I said, God wants me to share this with you. Jesus loves you. And so I gave her to read and she got about halfway through and she was in tears and she said, I, I need Jesus. I, I didn't know what else to say. I said, believe. She said, I go church, take baby, we need Jesus. I don't know. Suddenly, the wrong plane. You know all that wrong plane stuff I had? They say it was the right plane. It was the other plane that was wrong. Although it was the right plane for all of those guys. Anyway, my point. By God's will. Now here's what happens. Sometimes waiting for God's will means waiting for God's will. Well, I'll wait. You know, if, if it's God's will, it's right now. No, it's not always right now. Again, Paul was 14 years between Acts 9 and Acts 13. Paul says, I wanted to come to you, and we can read this section in chapter 15 when we get there. But Paul said, I, I wanted to, but I was hindered. Hindered by what? Not by his actions, but God's choices. It was God that sent him here. I want to go to Rome. No, I want you to go here. I want to go to Rome. I want you to go here. Yeah, but I'm right by the seacoast, and there's a ship right down there at the dock, and I was just looking at it, and it says Rome on it. And I could just walk right on that ship. God said, yeah, but I want you to go here. Yeah, but, but when I went there, I got stoned. Yeah, but that's where I want you. Just keep doing it. 
that I may now at last succeed at the bottom of the page, that I might succeed in coming to you. The Greek word euodao, euodao means to have a good journey, a prosperous journey, a successful journey. Listen, but because it's in a passive voice, it means for someone to make my journey prosperous. Someone to make my journey successful. I'm not having the successful journey. Somebody's made my journey successful. Who's the somebody? That would be God. That I may succeed. That I may have my journey made successful. That what I am doing will be the right way. Acts 28. I, as I was studying this, this just came to me. Acts 28. The closing verses of the book of Acts. Paul had wanted to get to Rome. He'd prayed to get to Rome. He desired to be there. It nearly broke his heart that he wasn't there. He wrote a letter telling them how much he wanted to be there. What he would do when he got there. But he never got there in his time. Instead, he got in prison and a shipwreck and a snake bite and all the rest of those things, right? But Acts 28, verse 14, the second half of verse 14 says, And so, what's it say? He came to Rome. He got there. We came to Rome. All these people that he's written to, about four years before this, now he's there. And so finally he got there. Four years later, but he got there. And then he goes on, and the brothers there, when they heard, came with us and brought us, da 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 And Paul thanked God and took courage. Look at verse 16. And when we came into Rome. We came to Rome when we came into Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself in a house. And what could he do in his house? He could allow other people to come in. And so Paul began his house ministry there in Rome. Who do you think came to see him? Oh, man, all these people that are written at the book, at the end of this book, if they were still there. All right, closing. How did Paul respond? What did he want? When did he want it? How did he respond? Always in my prayers. He just kept praying. He kept praying. He didn't get angry with God. He kept praying. I'm not saying he didn't pour out his heart because that's what the Greek word means. Asking is not the strong Greek word which means to to request something that is yours by right. Instead, he uses the Greek word deomai, which means to supplicate or to plead. It can be translated to beg. No, we don't beg. Well, This word means to pour out your heart. I don't know how I'm going to get there. God, I don't know what the reason is that I'm delayed. I don't know how long it's going to take me. But God, I want to be there. Deomai. I'm pouring out my heart before God. And you know what? This is the word found in James 5.16. Where it says the prayer, the deomai, the supplication, the pleading of a righteous person has great power in its working. It's the word fervent prayer, the King James, the effectual fervent prayer. See the words fervent prayer? That's the Greek word deomai. The fervent prayer, the supplication of a righteous man is effective and avails much. The literal translation from the Greek, the supplication of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer is working. I just don't see what it's doing. That's okay. But I prayed and nothing happened. You don't know what's happening. Again, the story of Israel standing on the Red Sea. And the wind was blowing from the other side. They couldn't see what God was doing. But the sea was parting 
from the far side toward them until finally it opened up. And there it was. They couldn't see that God was opening the way for them, drying the ground, and suddenly it opened up, and there it was, dry ground so they could walk across. So prayer is this way that we pour out our heart. What do I want? Am I willing to pray for a long time? To not give up just because it didn't happen today or yesterday? Or tomorrow? Am I going to give up because it hasn't happened in the last 10 years? No. I believe God put this in my heart. I believe it's going to happen. And I'm going to continue to pray. So Paul did. And you know what? We came to Rome. Love it. All right. Father, we thank you.